Well, this morning I'd like to speak about something that I know this church believes in. It was one of the founding principles of this church, and that is our calling to make Christ known, our calling to make Christ known. Not only do each of us individually have a calling towards that, but certainly we as a church family have a calling to make Christ known. And not only do we individually have a calling to make Christ known, and not only do we as a church have a calling to make Christ known, but we as a group of churches have a calling to work together to make Christ known. And so, my message this morning is, and the title of my message is, Called to Mission, Our Mandate to Make Christ Known. Called to Mission, Our Mandate to Make Christ Known. Now, my message today is going to be a little bit different. Normally, I would spend the entire time exegeting a passage of Scripture. But this morning, I'm going to take a short time to exegete a portion of Scripture, and then I'm going to share some information about our mission trip, mission trips this summer to Bolivia. We have some slides prepared for you all. We also have a number of people who are going to come and share testimonies of what we did in Bolivia, and more importantly, what they saw God do in Bolivia. So that's a little bit different than what we normally do. Guests, normally we take the entire time to go through a passage of Scripture. This morning, in some ways, is going to be a mission presentation and a message put together. So to begin, if I could invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, Luke chapter 19. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10. This is a familiar passage of Scripture. It's a passage of Scripture that you probably could tell me the story right now. It's the story of, someone would say, Zacchaeus. It's the story of Zacchaeus. So when I say that, that comes to mind. However, this morning, I want to bring out that it's the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. Jesus and Zacchaeus. So let's read our passage together. Luke chapter 19, looking at verses 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. It doesn't say why he was seeking. It says he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. 
So Zacchaeus hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Today, some of the things that I'm going to talk about will refer to, if you will, the term evangelism, but more so the mission to do outreach, the mission to share Christ, the mission to share the gospel. That's what my points are going to focus on. And so as we pray this morning, what I'm going to ask you to do is to picture in your mind's eye a person, perhaps the person that you have been praying for, that would come to Christ. I'm going to ask as we pray that you target them in your prayers. And as we pray, let's pray for the people who we would like to see come to know Jesus. Join me in prayer. Well, Father, as we have just sung, we would not be in this place knowing you, worshiping you, experiencing your goodness if it were not for your amazing grace that came to each of us, that drew us to yourself, and that gave to us a revelation of who you are. Father, we are debtors to you, debtors to your grace. Father, we are grateful. And Father, we now lift up to you people that we know, people that are dear to us, people that we would ask, Lord, that you would move upon their lives, reveal yourself to them. Lord, make known to them the greatness of who you are and their need for you. Lord, as you drew Zacchaeus, Lord, so draw them, we pray. Lord, do a work in their heart, draw them, Lord, answer their questions. Lord, whatever they're walking through right now, I pray you would provoke in their heart the question, who is God? Is He real? Who is Jesus? Lord, if it be your will, use us in their lives to share with them the truth, to make you known that you can reveal and save them. Lord, we cannot save anybody. We don't have the power in ourselves. That's not our role. But we ask that you would do that for your glory, for your honor. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we look at our passage today, we see that Jesus was on his way someplace. He was on mission. 
He's on mission demonstrating the truth of who he was and engaging people with the good news of his identity. His mission, if you're tracking here, in just a few chapters would lead him to the cross, which is the ultimate declaration of what his identity is. But without question, Jesus was a man, is a man on mission. In our passage today, he's entering Jericho. It happened as he was coming into Jericho that he encountered this man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, for some reason, wanted to see Jesus. He was curious. Being short, not able to see because of the crowd, the Scripture says, he climbed a tree. So there's some initiative to see who this Jesus was. Perhaps he had heard something about this Jesus. Perhaps Perhaps there was a curiosity. Perhaps he just saw the crowds getting excited and wanted to know. But he climbed a tree so that he could see. Now, look at verse 5, please. And when Jesus came to the place, that's unique, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up. Imagine that. There's Zacchaeus in the tree trying to find out about this Jesus, perhaps trying to just be anonymous. Jesus is coming through, and Zacchaeus knew who he was, and the people knew who Zacchaeus was. Zacchaeus was not a well-liked man. He was a tax collector. Part of what his reputation was was that he cheated the people. So he isn't the best buds with the people that are there looking for Jesus. And as Jesus comes along to the place, he stops and he looks up. Imagine if you're Zacchaeus. He's looking at you. He's looking at you. Whenever you see in Scripture Jesus looking or God looking at something, take note. God is highlighting something very, very important. Jesus looked up at Zacchaeus. Something's about to happen. And by the way, if you are here today and you are a believer, this also happened in your life. At one time, Jesus came to you and he put his eyes upon you. And he saw you. And there was connection because you saw him. The reason we see Jesus is because he first looked upon us. That's the Savior that we serve. That's the Savior that we come to worship. We serve a Savior that comes on his way to a cross to where we are, and he pauses and he looks at us. That same Jesus who came to us in a day when we didn't deserve it is still on mission today. 
He's still on mission today. The evangelism program that Jesus used, as I read it here, is this. He came, he looked at Zacchaeus, he spoke to Zacchaeus, and then he went, as it said, to spend time with him. And what happened? There was a change in Zacchaeus' life. His whole life. That's the evangelism program. Now, I like programs. I like conferences. I think that they are good. I'm all for that. I'm learning methods and so forth. I think they are fine. But we have to keep in the back of our mind that the life-changing formula of the Bible is having the presence of Jesus. That's the life-changing formula, the presence of Jesus. And as we sang earlier, and I loved it that we were singing about the Spirit and singing to the Spirit. The Spirit of God is present in this place. Jesus, by His Spirit, is here in this place. Jesus is here. He walks among us, and by His grace, He reveals Himself to us. Zacchaeus, through his interaction with Jesus, was a changed man. Scripture doesn't talk about how it happened, doesn't say that there was a specific type of program. It says Jesus engaged him. And again, the presence of Christ is the power to change a human heart. Ultimately, if you look down in verse 10, we see the purpose for Jesus' mission, why he's coming, and it's this. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He, key, he came to seek and to save the lost. Thanks be to God, he came to seek and to save the lost. Thanks be to God, he continues to seek and to save the lost. And Jesus is on mission today by his Spirit, seeking the lost, to save the lost. So my question for us is this. Do you identify with this mission? Do you see yourself, secondly, on mission? Do you identify with this mission? Do you see yourself on mission? First and foremost, to make Christ known. We're inescapably tied to his mission if we are Christians. And if I could have the first quote, J.I. Packer says it this way, we are all, speaking of Christians, under orders to devote ourselves to the spreading of the good news, which is the gospel. We are all under orders to devote ourselves to the spreading of the good news, which is the gospel, by word and by deed. But even more importantly than J.I. Packer, we read in 1 Peter 3.15 this, Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. But then it goes on to say, do it with gentleness and respect. Be ready with an answer. It doesn't say be ready with a theological treatise. 
be ready for an answer. I had a friend who worked in the steel mills of Pittsburgh. And as he was working, he told me the story of a fellow who came up to him one day, and they had worked together for a number of months. And the fellow said, all right, the way we act and talk around here in steel mills, and it can be kind of a crusty place, you're different. Something's different. Why do you do the way you do? Don't do the language that we use. Don't treat people the way we treat someone else. Why do you do that? All the friend said was, because I have a friend. And his name is Jesus. And he helps me. (laughs) And this rusty, tough mill worker began to weep. He said, I know you're right. He's been calling me. That's what he said. I have a friend. His name is Jesus. We can do that. We can share that. We don't have to have a theological treatise, but we do need to be prepared when people ask us, what would you say? In short, we're speaking about, folks, our responsibility as Christians to continuously be ready for our mission. We're on mission. Be ready to tell people why we have hope. What would you say? I love how C.H. Spurgeon says it, if I could have that quote. He says this. Try to get at close quarters with sinners. Talk gently to them till you have whispered them into the kingdom of heaven, till you have told into their ears the blessed story that will bring peace and joy to their heart. As Christians, folks, we are on mission to make Christ known, to share with them the best news ever and a message that will indeed, above any other message, bring peace and joy to their hearts. There is no other message like the one we carry. So, we are on mission. And for all of us, that requires each of us to be on mission at a local level. Where does that mean? Well, in our families, where we work, where we shop, where we live, where we do life on a regular basis. We're called to be on mission in our families. One of the greatest mission fields takes place daily in homes where there are children from zero to six years old. That's a mission field. Thanks be to God for parents who will regularly demonstrate, talk about not being perfect, but will talk about their Savior that helps them when they're not. Children can get that, and children need that. We need that. Talk about a Savior who saves, who forgives. We are on local mission We interact with people at work. We interact with people at school. We interact with people at the bank. They will see something different when Jesus makes that available, when he reveals that to them. And they may come to you saying, why? We're on mission. Locally, we are called to participate in making Christ known. 
All of us, all of us, all of us. Now, this takes me to the second part of my message, which is about Bolivia. While all of us are called to be on local mission, some of us are called to be on a global mission. Some of us are called to participate in that globally. As many of you know, this church supports a number of different global missions. Uh, we sent, um, we support Don and Fred Windelmeyer, who are over in Thailand. We support Sutisana Andy and Andrea Baker, who are in Bolivia. We as well do missions, trips to Bolivia. We also, in Sovereign Grace Ministries, support a number of other international missions. So I know that there's many different international missions going on. However, my privilege and my responsibility is to talk about what's taking place in Bolivia. So, we had this past summer, and if we could do the, there we go. We had this past summer the opportunity to send um, four teams to Bolivia. And um, all I can say is thanks be to God for a group of hard-working people, uh, especially uh, board members who want to see the gospel go out and want to get involved. And before I go through this, let me say one of the reasons why we do international missions I believe, and why I'm given to short-term missions is because it helps to prepare for local mission. One of the reasons why I'm so about doing short-term missions and being involved in that is because it spurs us on. It challenges us. When you get overseas and things are completely different, you ask the question pretty strongly, why in the world am I doing this? Why did I leave the comfort of home the comfort of my bathroom, the comfort of my bed, the comfort of food that doesn't rock my intestines, where the atmosphere is different, the bugs are different, the banking's different, the bathrooms are different. Why on earth am I doing that? What's the purpose of all of that? I can tend to miss that when I'm home. When I go on a long, excuse me, a short-term international mission, it helps me to think those questions. So I'm all about short-term international missions. Anyway, we had the opportunity again to go back to Bolivia. There were four different teams. We went to a number of different places. I could have the next slide. La Paz is where we launched out. It's the capital city of Bolivia. Altitude there, about 14,000 feet. Air is thin. You walk real slow. You see different pictures there of the capital city of La Paz. We have three sister churches in that town. Next slide. We had our first team, which was called a Care, Serve, and Invest team. They worked primarily at the orphanage. Anna's going to be talking about that in just a minute. But Anna was a hero to lead that team. They went for six weeks to invest in the orphans' lives, doing all kinds of different work. Next slide. Some of the slides there you see are the orphans at the orphanage called Casa de Esperanza. Um, those kids will steal your heart, no question. Next slide. We also had, uh, this was our general team um, of people. Not everybody's involved there. Next slide. Um, the orphanage, different pictures there. Um, I think I announced to the church, I don't want to go through all the names, but um, we had a, a team of folks who were um, 
professionals as well as, um, all right, I'll say it, older this time. And I'm part of that group. And so we made it, we did it, we went there, and we survived. You can do it too. Next sign. The children from the orphanage as well as the staff number about 120. You see Fidel and Charo all the way to the right. Those are the directors of the orphanage. You see that the um, orphanage is made up of children from, well, you don't see the babies there, but about one year all the way up to, we have some 18-year-olds there. Uh, you can't see it now, but Peter Punt is the founder. He's the man who would be right behind the girl sticking out in the pink shirt in the middle. Peter Punt founded this about 25 years ago. Next slide. That's the view from the orphanage. It's very picturesque. Overlooks the tropical town of Karanavi. Much fruit vegetation there. Temperatures in the summer are very hot. Temperatures in the winter can also be hot. Next slide. This is part of our medical team led by Dr. Ted Williams, Mercy Robinson, Mike and Cindy Hickman. That's the sign that is the emblem for Casa de Esperanza. Next slide. Again, other pictures of our medical team at work. Uh, Damian Crequino in the top right. Rumor is still out that he is a doctor, at least that's what he tells us. Involved in the medical team, he also has about six different titles and he'll be sharing some of those titles with you. Next slide. There was a building team, construction team, under the direction of Bob Swank, where we were able to pour cement around the foundation of the house. If you look to the left there, there's a house. You see the edge coming off. We're pouring the foundation. Purpose is the rain is coming down. If we don't shore up those foundations, the rain will undermine the foundation of the house and begin to erode it away. Next sign. Again, pictures of the um, foundation putting it together with our new little enlisted helper from the orphanage carrying rocks. We put rocks before they lay the cement. On the right side, we had the privilege to walk a three-mile trail cutting away weeds from a water pipe so we could find the break in the water pipe. So when you need to cut away weeds, everybody gets a machete, including the young kids. You just turn your head and... Um, cut through the weeds to try and find where the break in the water pipe is. Next slide. Here's a team of construction workers. They are buff dudes, just want to tell you that. You can see by their pose. And at the end of the day, after we had worked, you're pretty bushed. We had the opportunity not only to lay concrete, but also to dig a pad so that we could put another big water tank. And so um, we we're busy digging, moving rocks, moving um, dirt for that project. Next. Ministry team. At the orphanage, there's plenty of things always to do with the children. Not only they're caring for their personal um, life, which is food, clothing, day-to-day -day needs, but also their spiritual life. So we try to interact with them, build relationships with them as well attempting to share with them a number of different um, things about us as people as well as about Jesus. Next. One of the members of this church offered uh, some money. 
wanted food to be bought, specifically meat for the orphanage. So we took that money and personally delivered to them. And I didn't know this would happen, but they came back the next day. And Fidel said, Chris, I want you to come over to this truck, look at this truck. I looked in the back of the truck and it's filled with meat. All he said was, thank you. Thank you. They will cut this meat. So they've got all the older kids together. They're gonna, they cut on this meat for about five hours. They will bag it and they will store it in freezers and they will live off of that for several months. Next. Now this fellow, this is Professor von Himmel. Actually, this is Dooley, one of our team members. And what Dooley did was he brought his theatrical ability and the kids absolutely loved him and he was able to do children's ministry with them and you're going to hear from Dooley today and so far not Professor von Himmel. Next. Preaching prayer and prophecy team, this developed this, t- this trip. Um, we had the opportunity to go to, Car- um, it's actually not Carnavi, Bolivia, it's Entre Rios, Bolivia, where we went to care for a number of different pastoral teams and churches. And it was exciting to me, as we go into these places, not only do they want to hear the Word of God, but they want prayer, and they talk about the movement of the Holy Spirit in a very real way. They talk about that significant to them. So we had the opportunity to go and share. I asked the people that were on this, prepare a message, prepare your heart, prepare to preach, prepare to share words, uh, prophetic words, words of knowledge, We were at one um, leadership team meeting where there was a number of different pastors, and we were invited to come there. And so we were starting off the meeting, and they said, well, okay, now would you be able to now share a message for us from the Scriptures? Um, Because that's the way we want to start our pastoral team meeting before we get into all the details, to which I said, absolutely no problem, we'll share a message right now. Derek will take care of that in just a minute. (laughs) And he did. And you know what? The Spirit of God showed up. Derek had prepared something two weeks before, and you sensed God's presence there. God will use what we bring to Him. Next slide. Entre Rios, Bolivia was the time. Jorge del Castillo is one of the lead pastors down in Bolivia who we went with. We worked with him. On the right side, you see us loading up on a taxi. Next slide. Um, On the right side, on the left side, you see us loading up on the taxi. On the right side, you see what happens when your taxi has a flat tire and can't continue. You take off your shoes and socks and you walk through the river and keep on walking. Next slide. We went out to a place where, if you see in the left, um, that's a little church that we went to. There's a church that meets in that place. They were decorating something. You can see it's toilet paper because they were going to have, I think it's a lady's wedding shower, but that's what they had to decorate. He was explaining to me not only issues of the building and you can see how the floor is crumbling. They have a major foundational issue and they're looking to rebuild that church. On the right side at the bottom, you see we were in a pastor's meeting. Each of the pastors went around the room, explained their ministries to us, and we were able to interact. We were able to commend them. We were able to offer ideas as well. And most importantly, we were able to pray for them 
each one of them. Each of the pastors we took time to pray for, to share words of knowledge, words, uh, prophetic words, and words of scripture. It was a precious, precious time. Next slide. We, able, we were able to go out to churches and have evening messages. So you see the pulpit on the left. It's on a dirt floor. The home behind you is a very, very rustic home. These people come together to hear about Jesus. And so we met with them, we shared with them, we sang with them, we experienced God's presence together. Again, you get in these situations and they say, would you share? Would you share a word? And what you do is you say, okay, I'm going to bring the scripture. I'm going to open the scripture. I'm going to share. Next slide. Uh, we had the opportunity in Entry Rios to meet with a number of different pastors and their wives, as I said. Next slide. On the top left, um, I'm not going to remember their names. Timothy is on the top left. Adele is on the top. And Sebastian is on the bottom right. Let me say a word about Sebastian, who is on the bottom right. And uh, Adele's wife on the top. Both of these dear saints have been bitten by what's called um, binchuka. Binchuka is a bug that carries what's called Chagas disease. Chagas disease is a terminal disease unless it's rigorously, rigorously treated within the first, as I understand it, six months to a year, neither of which they have been treated. So it's a terminal illness that eventually um, evidences that in about 15 years. And so it will affect them. They do it, they, they, they live in an area where the bean chuka is very, very prominent. And so um, they serve in that area. They've experienced that. We are praying for them. We are trying to get them medicine for that. Next slide. I want to move now so that you can hear from someone besides me on these topics. What I've asked each of these people to share and each of them had there, and I'm going to ask Bob Swank to come first. Two questions I asked them. What did you see God doing in Bolivia? And what did you see God do in you? What did you see God do in Bolivia? And what did you see God do in you? Come on, Bob. Bob was the head of our construction team. He was our passport sheriff. He was the team accountant, assistant team accountant. He not only effectively led our construction team, but Bob brought strong spiritual leadership to the whole group. And it was great to watch Bob um, impact the entire team spiritually. It was, watch, it was great to watch God impact Bob and what he was doing. So come share. Thanks, Chris. First of all, it's nice to know that I am a buff dude. <laughs> Dooley, Dooley told me to say that. Okay. I'm just very thankful for Dooley's ibuprofen because uh, this buff dude wasn't very buff. Let's just leave it at that. Um, anyway, I want to start off by just reading a, a little bit of Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, through, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. 
God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Um, the reason I mentioned that or read that is my takeaway from the trip to Bolivia uh, is basically on how God provides what we need. Um, I was reminded by that, uh, of that, from Chris. Uh, as some of you know, I like fixing things. Uh, I, I think I can fix a lot of things, but uh, you know, sometimes I want to try and do more than I actually can do. Uh, so as I look back at the trip to Bolivia, there are a number of things I could mention. Um, but as I said, I'm reminded it's God who provides uh, what we need. Yes, he does. There are many instances in the Bible from Genesis with Abraham and Isaac to, uh, you know, the Israelites leave, leaving Egypt and God's provision there. Uh, but sometimes, as, as I said, I tend to forget and think I can fix things on my own. And I want to be careful how I state this, but uh, at the orphanage, uh, there are many ways God is providing for the orphans. That doesn't mean they have everything they need or everything they would want. But as we were driving on that wonderful road to Karanavi, uh, you, you see a lot of houses, let's call them houses. Uh, I, I would say they're more shacks. Uh, a lot of them don't have you know, windows or doors and you see kids outside, uh, some of them with clothes on, some of them without. Uh, and it just, as we were driving there, I'm going, okay, well, where are we going here? <laughs> uh, going to an orphanage and what's it going to be like? But when we got there, uh, you drive in and you see how God is providing. Uh, basically, they had places where the kids were staying and they had doors and windows, uh, which, which was pretty cool. Uh, compared to some of the other places, as well as you see the food, you see the love that has provided these kids mm. from not only the people that are coming there, but also from the Tias, as well as how Fidel and Charo care for these kids. Um, and that it, to me, that's just, there's a lot of kids, you know, and they care for them. Um, also, they, they, the kids get to go to school and the kids have clothing to wear. I mean, it, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, you go and you see these, not, not that it's brand new stuff from The Gap or wherever kids buy clothes, I don't know anymore, but uh, uh, they, they have clothes that they get new clothes every, or not new, but they get updated clothes every few months, which to me is fantastic. Um, so, you know, God keeps providing for these kids and he uses us to do those, that, help along in those provisions. Mm. Uh, that can be financially or it can be through prayer. And uh, I thank Chris for reminding me that it, a lot of prayer is needed. So I would ask you all to continue to help both financially and also prayerfully. So um, along those lines, same lines for me, God provided the people we needed to go uh, on this trip. I know Ted and I earlier on were hoping to each have you know, these massive groups of people to help us out. Well, God didn't provide all the people we thought we needed, but he did provide the people we needed. Um, we got done what we went to do. And um, other than having eight to 10 people, we had, you know, on the construction crew, we had four. Of course, we had Antonio that works like five by himself. Uh, so I just thank you, brother. 
Um, yeah, yes. Indeed. You and Tani are just fantastic. That's and right. I, I praise oh. the Lord for you guys. Yes. Uh, along those side, uh, same lines, uh, Derek from Tucson was a fantastic help to us. And I know Chris wanted to be, but he was still uh, in the recovery mode. And I know his family and Maria would have uh, had a real problem if he would have come back <laughs> in bad shape. But he, he was there, he was holding on to a shovel and he was ready to work the whole time. So uh, anyway, I, I'd just like to thank everybody that helped, everybody that prayed for us, and most of all, thank God. So mm, thank amen. you. Great job, man. Yeah, when you watch Bob work, you can tell he's a dude, and he works like he's a 25-year-old guy, and uh, so, and we did try and keep up with Antonio, and just gave up after a while. Damien Cricchino, Damien, come on up. Damien was our team translator, he was our water sheriff, he was our medical team assistant is what I called him, he called himself a doctor. Surgeon, Surgeon I'm sorry. He reminded me regularly that he was Mercy Robertson's man of the year, and we eventually said he's the co-man of the year. There's competition, and he didn't like that. But anyway, we won't talk about that right now. So. Buenos dias. Good morning. Morning. Um, I think the best way to uh, express how God talked to me and what he showed me happening in Bolivia through the Word of God. Creo que la mejor forma de poder expresar lo que Dios me ha mostrado a mí en este viaje a Bolivia es a través de la Palabra de Dios. Y quiero compartir Filipenses capítulo 4, versículos 10 hasta el 13. And I want to share with you Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 to 13, which said, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of, of, being, of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Me alegré grandemente del Señor de que ya al fin han revivido su cuidado para conmigo. En verdad antes se preocupaban, pero les faltaba la oportunidad. No que hable porque tenga escasez, pues he aprendido a contentarme cualquiera que sea mi situación. Sé vivir en pobreza y sé vivir en prosperidad. En todo y por todo, He aprendido el secreto tanto de estar saciado como de tener hambre, de tener abundancia como de sufrir necesidad. Todo lo puedo en Cristo que me fortalece. I know Charo and Fidel and the entire team in Casa de Esperanza have learned to live this passage of the scripture. Mm -hmm. Good. That's right. Sé que verdaderamente que tanto Fidel como Charo como el resto del equipo han aprendido a vivir este pasaje de la Escritura. Ha aprendido a vivir en abundancia y en necesidad. They learn how to live in abundance and in need. They learn how to rejoice in the Lord. Mm. Han aprendido a regocijarse en el Señor. No se levantan cada mañana pensando, 
bueno, hoy me falta esto o no tengo lo otro o cómo voy a hacer para hacer esto. They don't wake up in the morning thinking, okay, how am I going to do this? Or I'm missing this. Or I don't have this at home. They just rejoice in the Lord. Ellos mm. solamente se gozan en el Señor. Y aprendieron a vivir con fe de que Dios va a proveer. And they just learn to live with faith that God will provide. When we read the, in the same passage, but on verse 18, 18 through 19, it says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Mm. Dice, pero lo he recibido todo en el versículo 18. Y tengo abundancia. Estoy bien abastecido habiendo recibido de prafodito lo que han enviado. Fragante aroma, sacrificio aceptable, agradable a Dios. Y mi Dios proveerá todas sus necesidades conforme a sus riquezas en gloria en Cristo Jesús. What I learned myself is to... Not to feel that it's not enough what I give. Lo que he aprendido de mí es de no sentir que no estoy dando lo suficiente. Cualquier cosita que yo pueda dar, para ellos es, es algo abundante. Any little things I can give is very abundant for them. Mm. To get up in the morning and walk those 200 yards up the hill, el levantarnos cada mañana y caminar esos 200 metros cuesta arriba and just be with the kids for them is enough y solamente mm. estar con los niños That's para good. ellos es suficiente el poder escucharlos cuando tienen una necesidad el poder escucharlos preguntar hermano, ¿por qué mi mamá me abandonó? to be able to listen to them when they have a need to be able to listen asking you, brother Why my mom left me when I was a little kid? For them is enough. Para ellos es suficiente. Y los animo y los motivo a que no tengan un pensamiento muy bajo de ustedes, de que no hay suficiente que ustedes puedan hacer por ellos. I encourage you and motivate you to think about you not so low. Don't think that you don't have enough to provide for these kids. Don't think that you, you don't have the skills. No pienses que no tienes los talentos. Because God can use you as you are. Amen. Porque Amen. Dios te puede usar como eres. That's excellent. excellent. God bless you. Dios lo bendiga. Excellent. Great job, brother. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Damien, this was his second trip, and he's a significant, significant servant and strength to our team and uh, so grateful for his sacrifice for the whole teams, but whole team's sacrifice to be there. Mercy Robertson, come on up. Mercy is the team nurse. She's a team organizer. Um, this was Mercy's second trip. Not only is Mercy involved on the medical team, but she is a spiritual encourager um, to the entire team. She speaks all three languages, the language of English, the language of Spanish, and the language of love. 
to us. So come on and share. Well, it really was a privilege to go. Um, Actually, this year I was thinking, oh, maybe I'll take this year off. I'm a nurse, and I only get two weeks off in the summer, and I'd already had a week planned away. And to be able to take the same week off the same time as last year is often very difficult as a nurse. So I put two fleeces out to the Lord. Okay, Lord, if you want me to go, let me have the week off and the other things I wanted to do this summer. And provide half the money. It's pretty expensive to go, and we raise our own funds. And then I also spend quite a bit buying the things I think they need, (laughs) or the things I feel the Lord has told me to buy. And so um, it was amazing that I was able to get the week off, and they told me, well, if you have enough leave, you can have your other week off. Uh, And that was in August. And I had exactly to the hour that I needed for that mm, other week. Absolutely. So it, was, it just really encouraged me to see that Lord um, is really uh, providing for all my needs. And Philippians 4.19 um, really helped me with that. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory and in Christ Jesus. Amen. It was just so amazing to see Charo. I have five kids and sometimes like I mix up their names and it's like, she has 65 kids she's in charge of, and we'll, we were asking her about different, oh, what happened with this kid? This, oh, that one, this, oh, that, you mean this one? This, and she would just rattle off where they came from, what was going on in their lives, and I'm like, how do you keep 65 kids straight? But she always knew the answers to our questions. And I do ask, I'm, um, I'm going to say it now, because uh, for next year, Uh, These kids need new uh, beds, new pillows, mattress covers that they don't have down there, and pillow covers because they have a big problem with lice. And so I'm asking now, if you ever see them on sale, buy them, and we'll take them next year, (laughs) or the group will take them next year, you know, who's ever going. Um, But it's just so amazing to see how God provides for these children, um, you know, for their needs. We were very, a little concerned by seeing what they eat, you know, are they really growing enough? But it was amazing to see um, th- how well they had grown over the year. Being able to chart from what we did last year to the, this year, all the kids were growing well. There are a couple that do have some um, medical needs that hopefully we'll be able to help take care of. One who will need knee surgery at one point and one who may need a heart surgery. That will be pretty significant that they cannot do there in Bolivia. Um, so it'll just be neat to see how the Lord brings that about. Um, so just keep praying. You know, it was amazing. One little girl told me, as she was a high school girl, said, you know, my friends in school are jealous that I get to live here. You know, and they wish they could be orphans and live in here. That's how well they're cared for mm, and loved. Great job. Great job. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. Mercy. Next, Mr. Dooley Bazell. Dooley is from our sister church in, uh, former sister church in Chesapeake. Um, Dooley went with us this year. Um, He served on the construction team, even though he has, I think, two herniated discs, which he battled with the entire time. And he would move from time to time because his entire body was in pain because of the herniated discs. Um, he served on the construction team. He served as Professor von Himmel. So he was our 
professor there. And he was also, you need to know, the competition for um, Damien, Man of the Year. So he, he gave competition. <laughs> and by the way, Dooley was the oh, one team member from our group, and Debbie. Debbie's wife is, his wife is here as well, who went with us to Karanavi for the prayer prophecy and a preaching trip, so. In um, Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, where the Lord says this, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. A lot of times we don't recognize, just as Chris was saying, how that Christ is in us, the hope of glory. I know a man who saw a vision, he saw mountains, a whole lot of mountains. It was the Andes. And then the mountains caught fire. And fire, of course, manifestation of the presence of God, the burning bush. And throughout scripture we read of the fire of God being his presence. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And that was truly the manifestation of Christ's presence was in us. Um, I jokingly tell people, but it's not really a joke. If he can use a donkey, then he can use us, amen? Because he is That's adequate right. yes. within us. Yes. And in going down to Tarija and then into Entre Rios, where we met with the pastors, that was wonderful. Um, specifically, though, when we went to one of the village churches, the one that the ladies decorated with the toilet paper, it looked like some teenagers rolled the inside of the church. But it was just um, amazing to be there in Timboy and to see this building that's crumbling. They hadn't had a pastor for about a year. And then when the leadership of the church, several couples and some singles as well came in, we were able to pray for them. I was just so, so amazed at the glory of God yes. in that, that little uh, building that was crumbling, that will be restored because that church is being restored too because God is raising up ministry within that church. And it was exciting for me just to be involved um, in prayer uh, and, and just seeing how prolific were the gifts of spirit, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, prophetic words over and again. Uh, people, um, we were praying for this one brother and his wife, and um, my wife walked up beside me, and um, the fellow's uh, wife was with him, and she laid hands on her, and she, under the power of God, was slain in the spirit. And, um, and then also, um, Chris and I were standing pretty much like this, and we're praying for people. And I was looking down, and I see these young feet coming up. They both had flip-flops on, this young couple. And um, I said, um, after Jorge, I think it was, began to pray and prophesy over this couple. And I said, Chris, I'm, I think I heard something about feet. Is he talking about feet? And Chris goes, yeah, as a matter of fact. And, and the Lord gave, had given me a word because when I saw their feet, I said, what beautiful feet. 
Here they are in their winter um, time wearing flip-flops, the young couple, and it was so sweet to see how beautiful their feet were and how the word of the Lord came and was confirmed to them. And again, if the Lord can, good grief, if he can uh, speak through a donkey, he can speak through me, amen? And how about you? It's exciting. I can't wait to see how many of you will be able to come with us next year. Um, just want to encourage you because um, we are definitely jars of clay. Amen? That, that clay part of us. Um, and yet, how beautiful to, to see that it's Christ in us, the hope of his glory being manifest in this world. Amen. More to come. Amen. Great job, man. Great job. Um, Anna, you can start making your way up this way. Uh, it was exciting to experience that, and um, one of the things that comes to mind is, again, I mentioned one of the things that short-term missions, international missions do, is they encourage us for our local mission. And while you're there, you have the opportunity, and our team did this very, very well. Um, you, you step out, step out. So you're with people, step out and pray. You're with people, listen for a word of encouragement, listen for a prophetic word, listen for how somebody, uh, God might want to encourage somebody. The same thing we should be doing daily, daily, reaching out, stepping out. Can I pray for you? I had a friend who was saying goodbye to a, um, a friend was leaving town, was moving, and um, was not a Christian. So the friend said, well, can I come over and say goodbye tomorrow night? The guy said, yeah. And he said, can I pray for you? I was taking a risk. And the friend said, yes, and kind of stood up and folded his hands. Oh, man, what's going on? And my friend just prayed. He said when he opened his eyes after the prayer, his friend who was leaving was weeping. All he did was pray. We have those gifts, folks. We can bring Jesus. We can bring Jesus. Well, one of the people that has been a hero in bringing Jesus to the orphanage from this church, as you know, is Anna Rognes. And with her family um, has taken time and energy and effort and funding and money to go. And um, she is one of my living heroes, so I want you to hear from her as she shares about her time at the orphanage. Good morning. This is such a fun part for me to get to do. Um, I want to speak this morning in some word pictures because I really want you to get to know some of these kids and I want you to um, hopefully kind of be able to be there a little bit um, through some of these word pictures. Um, I want to tell you a couple about a couple of the kids um, so that you can understand where they come from and where they and the staff have to really trust God to redeem uh, situations that they've come through in their lives. This is my who am I, so get out your tissues. <laughs> my mother was abusing me. She was beating me all the time. She thought this was the way to parent. 
At age seven, social services came and took me away. I arrived at Casa de Esperanza from another city on Thanksgiving, 2015. My mom and sister recently came to visit me, but I hid as I trembled in fear and refused to see them because I was so afraid. I am thankful and smiling real big right now, and I love my new family. Who am I? I am Luis Dominic. Mm. <sighs> I think I need tissues. My mom was 15 when she had me. She was abused and had mental delays, and I was born prematurely, not even four pounds. I have trouble digesting my food, and I have spent my first three weeks of life in the hospital. Finally, I was able to go home to the caring house of Casa de Esperanza. My new mom and dad cuddled me and spoke softly to me and prayed passionately on my behalf as I fought for my life. What a gift to be loved and held in this world for my last three weeks before I passed away. Who am I? I am Joshua. Sorry, I don't apologize for these tears because it's just so awesome what God does and um, he's just sovereign over all this, so I do get choked up a little bit. My family situation was so abusive for so long that I couldn't take it anymore, so I ran away. I ran to a far city, but then I thought of my younger brother and wanted to help him out. I went back for him. We lived on the streets for some, some time, stealing to survive. We were found out and brought to Casa de Esperanza, where we have lived the past three years. We are trading our old habits for new ones, godly ones. Who are we? We are Elvis and Alex. Mm -hmm. I was brought to House of Hope when I was three. My brother was only one year old, and because of our age, they didn't tell us what our family history was. But now that we are able to better understand, we found out that both of our parents died in a horrible house fire. We are fortunate to be alive, and God has wonderful plans for our lives. Who are we? We are Renan and Mateo. Mm -hmm. So that's just a couple of the kids, what they've gone through and how God has blessed them to bring them to House of Hope. Have you ever asked yourself what makes a full life, what makes an abundant life? Is it the big event, the dramatic experience, that amazing vacation, the new car, that promotion? Well, I find myself pondering this question this summer. And for me, it was just God saying, Anna, it's in the little things, the mundane and the everyday moments. It's not just about the destination, but enjoying the journey along the way. Moments upon moments upon moments add up, making life full and filling it to the brim. This summer, my daughter Kara and I and Autumn and Emma and Serena and Hannah and Sarah went to care, serve, and invest in the lives of those orphans in Bolivia. We were the CSI team. However, we did not do crime scene investigations. <laughs> Actually, we did nothing fancy or splendid. We just simply came and did life with these dear people. We lived where they lived, we ate where they ate, what they ate, and we did what they did. So as a way for you to get a glimpse of what took place on our trip, I'd like to share a few of those precious moments that filled my cup to overflowing. A bus ride to youth group. You're okay, you're doing good. Sitting next to your buddy, singing to Toby Mac the whole way down the bumpy mountain. Being invited to a 12-year-old 
Jasmine's birthday party, Jasmine, who can only have two guests. One is her special sponsor, Autumn, and the other, me. There is one present and a birthday cake shared for the whole house, and Jasmine selfishly gives the biggest piece to Autumn. Talking and laughing with Atia for a good half hour in Spanish. Praise God. <laughs> Luis, my sponsor child, with a run-up hug at random times during the day. A class full of teen boys sewing dresses for all the girls in the baby house, laughing and cheering them on. 70 orphans singing at the top of their lungs at worship on Sunday morning at church. Ariel teaching me the phrase, God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. Holding baby Abby in my arms so that she can take a nap at the river. Watching cold water poured on Peniel's head to reduce yet another fever. Three babies, Jose, Abby, and Sabina at lunchtime. Their tummies full and they're tired from a full morning of preschool. And they're dozing off, bobbing their heads <laughs> until all of them are out in a row in, the high chair, in their high chairs. Then there's Luis and Sammy. They're both eight and they were fighting in their house. So as part of their discipline, they had to sit in the middle of the lunchroom and feed each other their lunches. So this, uh, this started off very quiet and um, concerning, but through feeding each other, they started laughing and enjoying their friendship through their discipline. Bicycle day, action erupts all over. Working with Fidelia, who's um, like a mentally challenged teenage girl, um, working with her to hand sew her very own pencil case. Riding home from church in the back of a pickup truck with 12 young boys, 12 in the back, that's <laughs> a lot, singing Indian chants because I don't know much Spanish. <laughs> Making paper airplanes for an eager Ima for the 20th time. Working side by side Ezekiel, chucking rocks up a line of helpers to prepare for the sidewalks around the houses a shooting star that blazes across the sky right next to the Southern Cross. Praying for Josue, Ariel, Samuel, Ezekiel, and Fidelia during a special worship time without them ever knowing prayers ascended on their behalf. Mm. Seeing Abdiel, a grown man, go over to hug his mom during worship to comfort her as she fights for faith, crying her heart out to the God Most High. These were faith-building moments and God's hand at work. So practically, our team taught preschool for six weeks, passed out 100 pairs of shoes that grow, mended clothes, taught sewing classes, held devotions in each house numerous times after a shared meal. Um, we helped prepare rock beds for the construction team to come, did medical preparatory evaluations for the medical team to come, we did a card project where the orphans crafted sets of cards for us to take back and raise support through donations for their cards and much, much more. So in conclusion, practical needs were met and friendships strengthened. And the conduit that was created was maintained for God's grace to flow both directions for his glory. Thank you. Amen. Well, what you just heard, please hear 
it would not, we didn't do it in isolation. That's what our church together has done. That's what God ultimately has done, but we don't do that in isolation. Prayers, support, encouragement. When you travel, you're traveling on behalf of a family. God is at work here at Kingsway. God is at work. As Matthew so often encourages us in pastoral meetings, it is critical that we keep our eye focused on mission, what the Lord is about. Yes, looking to Him. Yes, treasuring Him. But what is our mission? International mission is just one thing. It helps us to keep focused on mission. We're going to be continuing international mission, but we're also going to continue local mission, wherever God has us and what He's doing. But I want to thank you, the church. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your support. Thank you for being there as we, when we greet churches and people in Bolivia, bring greeting on your behalf. That means something, not only to us, but it means to them. So I thank you, church, for your support in that. As we close, I just want to pray that God would equip us, encourage us, strengthen us to be about His mission. So pray with me. Father, thank You for calling us to be a part of Your mission. First of all, to know You. Thank You that You revealed Yourself to us and called us. Father, I ask that You would equip us, strengthen us for whatever mission we are to be on, that we would look to You, treasure You above all things, make that, make You our focus. In Jesus' name, amen.